So it'd be dangerous to try to duplicate that. All right, I'll open up your notes to the final session. Unshakable future. And while you're doing that, you can also turn to Philippians chapter 4. Finishing out this letter today. And what awaits us in 2019? And what's going to carry over from last year? What, what, what is new on the horizon? What um, difficulties or experiences of trial are coming our way that we haven't anticipated? And the reality is we, we don't know. We, we don't know what is in front of us this year. There, there's a lot that is uncertain. And, and maybe you're feeling a little bit of that uncertainty. You could, be, you could be at a point where you're facing some decisions this year, especially the seniors in here. You, you're about to walk through some of the most significant uh, changes and transitions of your life. And, and maybe you're feeling the, the demand of that, the, the demand of having to sort through that and figure out, okay, what do I want to do next? And, and all the factors that have to come together. Maybe, maybe you know, you're, you're in middle school and, and you, you know that in the fall of this year, uh, you're going to be entering into high school and that's a transition coming your way. But, but the reality is, whatever awaits us this year, we don't know. We, we can't predict the future. Now, that doesn't mean we, we don't try to do that. We don't do very well uh, at it. I, I saw this recently, you know, today will be a good day with Duncan, and then they had to post later on, never mind, as all their uh, frozen coffee spilled in their seat. Uh, this is part of the problem with, like, updating people on your life every play-by-play. You have to make course correction moments. Um, but, you know, that's a, obviously a, a small-scale version of this. But um, our, our expectations often don't prove to be true. But what we tend to do is we, 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 we tend to try to make predictions through our anxiety. There's a guy named Ed Welch, and he's described anxiety as a, a form of false prophecy. <laughs> it's like we, we, we try to, in our own heads and what we're working over, Think, think through the, the, a vision for the future that awaits us, and we're pretty convinced it doesn't look good. And so we're, we're worrying about that. He says, worriers are visionaries minus the optimism. Um, and and, and if, you're, if you're someone who's, who's prone to be anxious, you, you, you know that that is, that is true. But we, we can be convinced of this. There, there's going to be coming one way or another. There's coming factors this year that that could threaten our joy if we have misplaced it. Circumstances will shift on us. We will face disappointments. There, there will be things that if, if we have built our lives on a, on a center outside of what Paul has been describing in this, in this letter, it, it, it has the potential to shake us. And, and, and Paul concludes by speaking to that reality and he's he's speaking to a church remember the context here right ad 62 there's a psychopath ruling the empire uh the 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 christian movement is beginning to 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 feel some of the tremors of persecution one of the central leaders is in a roman jail cell 
and, 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 and there's places that are walking through poverty and need and there's confusion that they're facing. So Paul is concerned about those realities that this church, this, this favorite church of his, is facing. Um, and so he wants to leave them with something that will serve them. So chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Philippians is filled with these verses that maybe you've heard along the way, and, and my, my hope is you know, spending some time in this letter, you, you get us into the context uh, of what he means by that, and how, you know, when, when our life is, is built on Jesus and Jesus alone, how that transforms how we see some of this, and we're going to explore that today. And he says in verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Father, we... We ask that as, as we're coming and we've, we've got our energy that has left us and Lord, we can already begin to have a mind that's set toward returning home and Lord, facing what awaits us there. Lord, we, we, we pray that you'd calm our hearts, you'd quiet us, Lord, you, you'd quicken our minds to be able to hear and to, and to listen and Lord, that you would impart something that will will be an anchor for us in the days ahead. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, our, our, our theme comes up again because Paul starts by saying, stand firm, you know, be unshakable, plant your feet right here. And, and, then he, and then he shifts to calling out some people by name. And, and that kind of comes unexpectedly in the, in the letter. You, you don't necessarily anticipate Paul's going to be dropping these names in here, but you, get, you have these two ladies, Yodia and Syntyche, 
And, and he's, he's telling them to, to put away their complaints, to agree in the Lord. That's our, our, our first point here is to out-rejoice your complaints. But, but could you imagine what it'd be like to be these ladies, to have, to have whatever fighting was going on uh, kind of immortalized in the Bible for thousands of years to come. Everybody gets to read about the fight that you had. Um, but it's interesting, I, I, my guess is Paul knew they, they were mature enough to handle this. And, and these are people that he says, they, they, they were with me in Philippi from the beginning, they, they have been my support, they, they have been partners in the gospel. And, 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 and so these are not spiritual sloths here that he is dealing with. These are people who, who've done serious work in the kingdom of God. They're, they're mature and yet they, they can't seem to get along. And that, that should inform our expectations. Don't be, don't be disillusioned, by the way. If people that you have looked up to get, get taken in with these kinds of struggles. Because the, the Bible tells us that's normal. That's to be expected. And so you, you maybe, maybe there's a friend that you've had. Maybe there's, there's someone who's older or a leader and, and you've, you've kind of always followed their example and, and, and they've come to a place where they're, they're in conflict with somebody else or it doesn't seem like they've got the best attitude. Don't allow that to unbolt what God used them to teach you because that's still true. That, that, that doesn't fall away just because every single one of us this side of heaven, are, we've got fallen humanity that we're dealing with. And so I, I think this is... This is Helpful to, to notice that right, right in the pages of Scripture, right in this, this church that doesn't seem to be plagued by a lot of issues like the Corinthian church is, but they still have these, these problems. Um, but, he, but he's saying you, you, you're getting caught up in your little pet preferences and you're missing the big picture. You're fighting about all the stuff that can be shaken, the circumstantial stuff, and, and, and there's, there's, there's a foundation that you share together that should allow you to, to, to get past this disagreement. Right, just kind of practical moment for you. Is there, is there somebody that you need to reconcile with because both of you have just been, been fine with allowing funk to exist between you? And, and, and it's, it's kind of your own little pet preferences that have created that. And yet you, you share eternity with one another. You, you share something that is greater in common than anything else that you could have. If you're both saying Jesus is everything and everything else is secondary, the problem is when that, those secondary things begin to be what we've attached our hope and security to, if you threaten that, then you become a problem to me. And that's when I can't deal with you on the same terms anymore because... I've, I've miscentered my hope and my life. And so he, he tells them to rejoice and, and he repeats himself. He's like, in case you missed it, again, I'm saying it again. Rejoice, right? Yeah, 16 times in this letter, he's telling them to do that. And, and when should we rejoice, Paul? Always, in every circumstance, right? Even this one, that one too. Whatever's coming to your mind, there's an ability to rejoice in that. And, 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 rejoicing, it's got this unusual impact on us. You, 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 can't, you can't cling to your, your grudges 
when, when you have a heart of joy. It just, they, they don't work. One expels the other. And so Matt Chandler writes, sticking to our relational guns, holding grudges, giving people what they deserve. All of those things may give us a smug sense of satisfaction, but they cannot produce real, deep, abiding joy. If you're, if you're struggling with, with bitterness, that, that, you, you might feel like being convinced that you are in the right and that person's got to make the first move before me to be postured in any way that's different to them. You, you know that, that's a miserable existence. Uh, you know, I've heard it said that, that bitterness is the, is the poison pill that we swallow waiting for the other person to die. <laughs> Uh, you, you were just harming your own heart in that. And on the other hand, you know, when, when, when there is a, a joy that overcomes you, it's, it's, it's hard to hold on to those grievances. I mean, there have been times in history that um, the, the experience of, of delighting in good news has caused people to put down their arms for a time. There's a, there's a film, uh, Noel, and it tells the story uh, of, of the, I think, I think it was during, during the First World War when the Allied and German forces on, on Christmas Day, they, 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 they put down their weapons and they exchanged gifts with one another and they celebrated Christmas because it was, it was a day of glad tidings and, and, and great joy. And so Paul's saying, take up joy, put down your weapons, out rejoice your petty complaints and move toward the people that you need to move toward. He says to let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That's a, that's a fun word right there. <laughs> Does that characterize you? Are you reasonable? Are you able to be reasoned with? Are you intreatable? Or, 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 or does it come when a moment that you're fighting for something, you, you, you just get explosive, people can't, people can't connect with you, in that time, they, they, they can't get you to, to, to be aware of anything else than just whatever small thing has become your world right now. And it just takes days for you to come around to, to see their perspective. Is that, is that what characterizes you? That's another joy killer. Paul's saying that here. But joyful people are reasonable people. Jo- joyful people are, are, are not easily shaken from fear and freaking out and not able to get past that. They can be entreated. All right, second point for us is to pray away your anxiety. I came across this article by Ellen Castillo. She's a biblical counselor. And she says, anxiety is one of the most common reasons why teens seek biblical counseling. Their anxiety comes in varying degrees and much of it is debilitating. The most common presenting struggles are sleep problems, lack of concentration, decreased school performance, avoidance of perceived difficult situations, a change in behavior or emotions, and in some cases, panic attacks. The outward triggers for anxiety vary as well. Some struggle with expectations from parents for good grades high performance in sports, so on. Others struggle with with self-imposed expectations to perform well in various aspects of their lives. Some can't identify any triggers, but they are awake at night, 
unable to sleep as their minds race. Their concerns about uh, the matters of this world, politics and current events, preoccupy their minds with worry. Fear of man consumes their sense of identity and purpose. Right? These are words we've been looking at this weekend. As they compare, judge, succumb to peer pressure, struggle with their faith and trust in the Lord. Information comes at them at a rapid pace through social media and other online content, making it difficult to concentrate on life's priorities. Older teens are often worried about planning for their future, right? I I read a fancy quote, but I'm not telling you anything new. It's likely you found yourself somewhere in one of those descriptions. You, You know what this feels like. You know this experience. And, and the kinds of things that make us anxious, they're, they're going to continue to come. The, this is a world, it, 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 you can count on it. This is a world where you will face trouble. In this world, Jesus says, you will have tribulation. It's a broken place. It's unpredictable. Stuff breaks all around you. It doesn't function the way that it's supposed to. That is coming our way. But what do we do when, when our heart's instinct is to respond with anxiety, fear, worry? What do you do with that? Well, well Paul, he's very practical here. He gives you an alternative. He says, don't be anxious. Pray. Pray away your anxiety. Don't worry about anything. How are you supposed to do that? Pray about everything. Martin Luther said, pray and let God worry. (laughs) And he's not really going to worry because he's omnicompetent and he's got the capacity to take care of everything that concerns you. And and we so often, we, we just go to our distractions when anxiety presents itself to us. And, and so if, if we're having to face something that's really difficult in this coming week and it's got us a little bit freaked out, we, we, we try to numb that sense and we, we, we do that through our devices. Maybe we do that through patterns of sin. We, we go to other things as our refuge and, and they are poor refuges because eventually you set them down and everything that was freaking you out remains unresolved and you, you've probably invited into your world more reasons to be worried. That, that tends to be the kind of information that comes through us when we plug into the broken world that's around us. Paul, Paul's, Paul's inviting us, turn your heart to the Lord. That's what prayer is designed to do. Prayer, you know, if, if, if this serves you, Sometimes people don't know how to pray because they're, they're so focused on the, the conversation with God rather than the God they're speaking to. And you know, that conversation gets weird if you're kind of just replaying in your mind what's being said, how do I respond, how do I sound. And sometimes people go to pray, they don't know what to do, they don't know how to speak to the Lord. Jesus says, He is your Father, come to Him with your needs. Come messy. Come with your wandering mind. Come with your anxious heart. 
and bring your worry in a Godward direction. We, we, we need this Godward orientation because we can live as, as functional atheists as we face the worries of life. We can just adopt the same kind of secular perspective that everybody else has. And it's just, it's, it's just me and the demands and a future without hope. And God hasn't been brought in to my awareness. Look at what happens when, when we do this. Paul Miller has a, it's a really excellent book called Praying Life. And, and he, he, he guts Psalm 23 of the presence of the shepherd. And so you got that, all that, what's, what's been stricken from the psalm is, is any Godward awareness. And what's left? My. I shall be in want. Me. Me. My soul. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear evil. Me. Me in the presence of my enemies. My head. My cup. Me all the days of my life. That's pretty dark sounding, isn't it? But sometimes that's all that we take to heart. That's all that we bring to mind. Just the isolation of our needs, obsessing over our wants, paralyzed by our fear. Prayer lifts the darkness. It lifts the fog. It helps us to see that right there as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear because my shepherd is with me. He's providing for me. He's preparing a, a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I'm only aware of the enemies. I, I need to see the feast that the shepherd has prepared as he dines with me and ensures that every need is met. A pastor friend of mine has said that prayer is both therapy and theology. Prayer connects us with the God who is sovereign, who is in control over every circumstance that I face, who is the, the, the one who will cause me not to be shaken. And prayer heals my heart. It mends my soul. It causes me to be complete. And what it brings with us, what happens when we pray? Peace arrives on the scene. And, and peace is not primarily a thing. Peace is not what can be written inside of a Hallmark card, right? Peace is not an inspirational Instagram post. Peace is not just a fuzzy feeling, although there, there is a transition in your experience when peace comes. Peace is primarily a person, I mean, notice how that's interchangeable. In verse 7, he talks about the peace of God. And then in verse 9, he, he, he describes the God of peace. That's just the same thing. God is holy. God is love. God is peace. And so there's no peace to be found anywhere on this planet outside of God, accessed through Christ, received through prayer and fellowship with Him. You can search for it, and you will never find it. Peace is incarnate. It, is, it has a personality, which means it's the very presence of God that we get. 
as we draw near to him. Don't be anxious. The Lord is at hand as you walk into your future. All right, third, we need to pay attention to our thoughts. He talks about in verse 7, having a mind that is guarded by this peace. And then, and then he, he, he tells us to think about certain things, right? Whatever is, verse 8, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned, right? There's content to that. That's teaching. There's theology there. Practice that. What you've learned and received and heard and seen, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. But we, we have to think about what we're thinking about because we can't just let our, our minds wander. They, they will welcome in anything and they will, be, they will be sold so quickly on the first offer that comes your way. So we, we, we have to guard our minds. Because if, if we're not being attentive to our, our thought life, one, anxiety will always come. Deception will come. Temptation will come. A sense that we, we are, we are going to be totally alone as we face our problems, that will just come. False saviors and idols will make their offer, lustful thoughts will come, prideful thoughts, angry thoughts, bitter thoughts, and, and, and they, they will all offer you an out from that experience of need that you had, and they will not lift a finger to provide for you, and they will leave you more empty and more hungry than you were before. And so we have to in, intentionally connect ourselves to God's interpretation of reality. Paul, Paul Tripp says that people don't live based on the facts. They live based on their interpretation of the facts. You are all interpreters of life. It comes your way and you, and you place it in categories and you say that's, that's good, that's bad, that's to be avoided, that is for me, that's going to be against me, that person's words, that means that, their response, their facial expression. You are interpreters all the time. And you interpret where you are and you interpret your future. And what Paul's saying here is things that are actually true and good and beautiful, that's, that's God's reality. That, that's, that's God's interpretation of reality. And so we intentionally we submit our, our minds to this. We say, God, I, I, I want to see life through this lens. I want to wander in the dark when you've provided clarity. So help me to see things the way that they really are. The way that you have revealed them to be. You know, in, in the security world, there's something called two-factor authentication. A lot, of, uh, a lot of online accounts now will use your phone number for that, and so maybe you've encountered that where they'll, they'll text you a security code and, and do that. 
The trouble with that is anybody who gets your phone number and access to that can kind of still break into your stuff. But you got different apps that will do that where, you know, somebody can hack your password and they, and they can get into your account that way. But, but they have to also get the verification code that's located in another source in order to be let in. That's the kind of two-factor authentication. And, and, and we need this with our minds. Should I let this in? Is this going to be good for me? Is this going to be safe? I, I need to check it with another source. I need, I need to allow this to be the factor in my mental security and check everything against God's Word. I right, finally learn the secret to everything. And different people will offer you what they feel is the secret to being successful and the secret to your life turning out okay. Uh, there's, a, there's actually a book that's titled Unshakable by a guy named Tony Robbins. Uh, Tony is a force of nature, by the way. Uh, if you've heard of Tony Robbins, but he's kind of a, a, a life coach and a productivity guru and People pay a lot of money to show up at his events and have him curse them out, you know, to motivate them to do stuff, shout in their face, you know. He's kind of a wild personality. Uh, but he, he's written this book, and here's the, de the description for it. It says, Robbins, who has coached more than 50 million people from 100 countries, is the world's number one life and business strategist. In this book, he reveals how to become unshakable. Someone who can not only maintain true peace of mind in a world of immense uncertainty, economic volatility, and unprecedented change, but who can profit from the fear that immobilizes so many. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, in these pages, you'll discover strategies from the world's top investors and how to protect yourself and your family and maximize profit from the inevitable crashes and corrections to come. How a few simple steps can add a decade or more of additional retirement income by discovering what your 401k provider doesn't want you to know. I know these are all like teen categories that really matter to you. Uh, master the mindset of true wealth and experience the fulfillment you deserve every day. Now those aren't bad things, uh, but that is so far removed from what Paul has in mind when he says, you want, you want to know the secret to being unshakable. It's not any of that stuff. It's, it's not located in the things that Jesus says, moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Paul has been in Rome for a year in prison and, and the way that the Roman prison system worked, you, you, you didn't get three hots and a cot, you know, three meals and, and your own bedding and, and, and it's like, He's, he's cold, can I get a blankie? You know, they, they, they don't care what, how you're doing. You, you, had to, you had to still, in, in prison, you had, to, you had to pay for yourself, yourself to live there. You had to provide for your own needs. And you're in prison, so you're not able to work and do that, and so you're just dependent on people, being generous, being kind, to take care of you. And, 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 and Paul has been sitting in that kind of existence for a year now, and, and the Philippian congregation, at first it seems like they, they weren't really aware of what's going on with Paul, but then they find out that he's in prison, but they're in a place that they can't really do anything about it because they're a poor congregation. 
themselves, but then finally they're able to mobilize a gift and they, they, they put together uh, some financial resources for Paul to be able to be provided for and, and some of his basic needs to be taken care of. And then they, and they send this guy named Epaphroditus to bring it to him, to travel from Philippi to Rome, and he gets gravely ill along the way. He gets so sick he almost dies and doesn't make it to Rome. And, 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 and the Philippians, they, they're back at home worried because our, our apostles in prison and the one guy we sent over there who's very important to us locally, uh, he, he might be dead by now and our gift is just lost funds. And then finally Epaphroditus, it, it, God heals him and he's able to make it. He's able to bring to Paul this gift and an update on how the church is doing. So Paul's writing this letter and he's sending it back with Epaphroditus and he's going to make that trip and return to this, this church. And when Paul describes this for them, look, look, at, look at what he says. This is, this is a little bit stunning right here. In verse 10, I rejoice greatly that now at length you revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned, but you had no opportunity. In the verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need. What? <laughs> uh, not in need. It's like he says, thanks for the gift. I didn't need it. What are you saying, Paul? Right? He, he's not being rude here. He's not reacting the way that some of you do when you got your Christmas presents. <laughs> some of y'all are just so excited. Oh my gosh, I was, how'd you know I wanted this? Take it out pictures and others is like, thanks, you know. Uh, he's, not, he's not pulling out one of those. He, he is pastoring this church from prison. He wants them to know that his hope is not in his physical needs being met. His joy is not dependent on things like finances. And he's teaching them something as they face their needs in life. And he says, let me, in, let, me let you in on the open secret. How do you deal with need? Well, I have learned in any and every circumstance how to be content. You have to learn that. Contentment doesn't come automatically. One, because we're fallen and we, we start our existence in this, this world and, and, and little children come and they're like terrorists and they're like, here's my demands. <laughs> uh, one, because we, we have needs. We, we just, you know, we need food, we need sleep, we need these things. But then also we have a heart that is selfish and, and so we, we are unreasonable and, and we, we never feel like we have enough. But then today, we, we live in a culture that makes this so hard. You guys, have, you guys have so many options that most people in the history of the world haven't had. I mean, you just, you go down any aisle in the, in the grocery and there's like 27 different versions of peanut butter there and pick out what you want it didn't used to be like this and and you and you can you take that expectation in life you know when i when i uh wanted to watch my favorite television show i 
It'd be after school, it would come on at four o'clock and then you, you watch that and then you wait till tomorrow and the, you know, sometimes Saturday morning had special shows, but it wasn't on demand, it wasn't instant streaming, it wasn't watch the entire series at once. But, but we, our, our world just adds more and more and more and more and the levels of expectations increase. And so you, you always feel like whatever you have, there's somebody else out there who has more, which immediately downgrades your sense of having enough. You have to learn. You have to take intentional steps to practice contentment. And he says, I, I know how to be brought low. You know, he... he you just read sometimes some of the things that Paul experienced, and that, that's about an understatement of a lifetime. Right? He, he has been stoned, he has been shipwrecked, he's been criticized, he has been totally abandoned, he has, he, he has spent nights in, in rich homes, like Lydia's house when he visited Philippi, and then later that week he's in a prison cell. I mean, his existence just swung back and forth. And he says, I know how to be brought low and, and abound. You, you, you stick me in either environment, and I'm okay. Do you know how to be brought low? Do you know how to be circumstantially humbled? Do you know how to face need? Or do you only know how to be surprised and to be thrown by that and to complain when it comes because it feels abnormal? It feels like I'm, I deserve something better than this. That, that's why we need the, encounter, the kind of encounter that Paul had that puts no confidence in the flesh and knows I don't, I don't deserve anything but hell. Every day of this life is mercy and gift. And he says, I, I know how to abound. He, he knew how to manage prosperity when it came his way. And sometimes that's more challenging to manage. There's, there's a guy named C.J. Mahaney and he said that there's, there's the test of adversity and there's the test of prosperity and we more often fail the test of prosperity because we forget God. We find Him to be ignorable when everything is going our way and life is good. Paul says, I, I, know, I know how to be placed in the most desirable situation I could ever want and God still be the center of my existence. Which means He's not shaken when those things are taken away. The good news is that that's a secret that can be learned. You can acquire it. How do I learn that? Well, for starters, I read this and I meditate on it and I think about what's true and I, and I, and I take a reality. Do this every day. You know, you've read a chapter. What's, what, what's the sentence? What's the statement? What's the... What's the truth that my soul and my heart needs today? I need God's interpretation of my life and you cling to that. 
and you war against discontent in the process and you allow yourself to sit in situations that are not comfortable but you know are okay. You know that when the, the jail cells swing open and the chains drop because there's been an earthquake, I can remain right here because there is still joy. And, that, and that's what Paul says. You know, I can do all things. You know, obviously that doesn't mean you can dunk on a 10-foot goal. Uh, that's, you know, one of the most taken out of context verses in the Bible. Doesn't belong on the back of your jersey. Um, what Paul's saying is, I can face any situation and not lose my joy. God enables us to do that. And I do that through the one who strengthens me. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Ben, if you come back up, Ben. I want us to sing in a moment, but I, I first, I, I, want, I want to give us a, a, an opportunity to, to do what this passage says to do. We outrejoice our complaints. We pray away our anxiety. We pay attention to our thoughts. We learn the secret to everything. And so I want you to bow your, your heads with me. And, and you, you bring your heart Godward. You, you don't face life as if there's no shepherd. And you tell them in your own words, Lord, I don't know what awaits me. It, it, it will gain me nothing to try to predict it or try to worry about it or try to feel like it depends on my performance in order for me to be secure. But I know you're with me. And I know that's enough. And God, I, I am prepared. I am prepared to abound or to be brought low. Lord, I, I just tell you that you are my joy. And so I, I'm postured to receive whatever your will has for me this year. If I get everything I ever dreamed, or if I face brokenness that I never anticipated, I will be content. I will renounce complaining, fighting, conflict, grumpiness and joylessness. I will not be shaken. Not because 
on my own, I can handle anything. But because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I want to know that Christ. I want to know Him. I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection. And I want to know the fellowship of His sufferings. But my aim is to know Him. Father, we pray that you would deepen in us everything that we have received this weekend. Lord, thank you that this is a letter that is rich in insight. Lord, thank you that it it tells us the secret of how to do life and not be shaken. Lord, thank you that from the beginning it locates our confidence in continuing in these things, not in us, but that the one who's done this work in us will continue it and will complete it. And so God, we want to get to work. We want to run after you this year. We want to have endurance. We, we want to have the kind of joy that is not easily stolen and that this world does not understand. We want peace that surpasses understanding. Lord, the, the world is not impressed when we are fine, when life is fine. It gets the attention of the world when we're locked in a cell and we're singing. And we're content to remain when we could flee. So God, it's that kind of supranatural peace and joy that we want. And those are not things. It's a person. It's Christ. And we want more of Him this year. It's our eager expectation and hope that we would not at all be ashamed, but that in everything, Christ would be honored. Let's stand together.